Please turn in your Bibles this evening to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read the first three verses of Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. So here the Apostle Paul is urging the Christians to think about their privileged relationship to God through Jesus Christ and to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice in the worship of God. And the interesting thing is that immediately the Apostle Paul starts warning the Christians about the kinds of things, the kinds of influences that they should not allow into their lives. They are to watch out for the opponents of the gospel, beware of the dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision. And, and in the midst of that reality, where there are enemies to the gospel, Paul still has said, rejoice in the Lord. Well, what is there to rejoice in when you are surrounded by such bad examples, by such evil influences? Well, the answer is in the very next verse. Because there is a real, a real work of God in the hearts of his people. We are the true circumcision. Not circumcised necessarily in the flesh, but circumcised in the heart with the circumcision, as Paul says elsewhere, not made with hands. And we have this privilege of worshiping God, and in order that we may worship him as we ought, we worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. So whatever those other influences and circumstances may be, we have every warrant to worship God with joy and the confidence that we are rightly related to him through Jesus Christ. We are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Well, as I thought about what I would do in this evening time, this evening sermon, uh, to complement what I uh, preached and taught this morning of the deity and personality of the Holy Spirit, I wanted to take this opportunity to preach on the role of the Holy Spirit in the worship of God's people. And that's what our subject is this evening. We're going to think about the worship of God, worship of God in the power and by the grace of the Holy Spirit. I know that people often worry when you start talking about the, the Holy Spirit, and particularly the Holy Spirit in our in our worship, because there are people who abuse the role of the Holy Spirit. They misrepresent the role of the Holy Spirit in the corporate worship of the people of God. But we do not need to be imbalanced in order to give the Holy Spirit his due place. We sang 
uh, this morning, hymn number 240, well, it, actually it was 336, that's right, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm oriented to the blue Trinity hymnal, but that red Trinity hymnal was three, 336, uh, we sang that this morning, same hymn, and in it, we express our confidence and desire that the Holy Spirit would help us in our worship, that he would have all of those uh, beneficial influences upon our souls as we worship God. And we are assured by the scriptures that God will be with his people. Very often I would, uh, when I would preach at uh, another church, I would uh, think about the necessity of the Holy Spirit's ministry and I would express that how necessary it is and my one of my brethren would routinely tell me we have the guarantee we have the promise that God will meet with his people and that he will do good to his people and of course that's what Paul is telling the Christians at Philippi we are the true circumcision we worship by the Spirit of God. We worship, we glory in Christ Jesus. So that's my theme this evening. We are going to consider the role of the Holy Spirit in our worship. And I won't say everything about the Holy Spirit in our worship, but I, I hope to help you to appreciate in a fresh way the role of the Holy Spirit in our worship and the first thing I'm going to say from, actually from Philippians chapter 3, is that the Holy Spirit invigorates worship. The Holy Spirit invigorates worship. And I, I wrestled with the question of the right word to use to describe what the Holy Spirit does for us and in us. And I think the word invigorates is the right word, uh, the uh, the Oxford English Dictionary defines this word invigorates to fill with life and energy. And I know that there are times, brethren, when that's not the way we feel. That's not the way we feel. Sometimes you may come to the public worship of God and you're doing the right thing at the right time in the right place and the felt enjoyment of God's presence is not your present experience. And yet, the Bible declares to us that we worship by the Spirit of God, that there is that due, proper work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so that even when we do not necessarily feel, for whatever reason it may be, we do not feel that influence, still that influence is present. By faith, we should understand that every time the covenant people of God gather for public worship, God is here. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so that's our hope. That's my hope for us this evening, that we will know the Holy Spirit invigorating our worship. There is in Philippians chapter 3 a contrast between the Judaizers, those are the people whom Paul is warning against when he says, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. Those were the Judaizers who were trying to get the Philippian Christians, as they did in so many other places, 
to let go of their distinctive new covenant privileges and identity and to return to a form of worship which was not in, uh, in keeping with new covenant promises. Here, Paul is making this contrast between the true worshipers and those who are not true worshipers. And it's not a, a contrast between Old Testament believers and New Testament believers. It's not that the Apostle Paul thought that Old Testament believers did not worship God by the Spirit. Um, Old Testament saints did worship God by His Spirit. Um, whenever I read that kind of statement that you know, the Old Testament believers did not have a genuine experience of the Spirit of God, I just go back to my Psalms. I just go back to uh, the various Psalms. We have 150 Spirit-inspired Psalms, which were a guide to the public worship of the people of God. Every time I read one of those headings on a Psalm, for the choir director... Those psalms and all the other psalms were intended for the public worship of the people of God. They were the guide of God the Holy Spirit to the people of God to draw near to God and express their faith along with their struggles and their hopes. The, the Holy Spirit helped the people of God both to compose the, the prophets such as David and the sons of Korah and uh, Asaph and others, uh, the Holy Spirit taught them what worship in the Old Covenant was to be like and the Holy Spirit was guiding the Old Testament believers. I wonder if you have had the uh, experience that I have in reading through. Sometimes I, uh, sometimes I was jealous jealous of David and his expressions, his effusive expressions of joy in the Holy Spirit, his effusive expressions of zeal for Jehovah and for his glory, his desire when separated from the public worship of God to desire it as the deer pants after the water brooks. So pants my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, says David, for the living God. And so those psalms indicate to us that there was genuine communion with God by Old Testament believers. Now, that was not true of all the Old, old Covenant community. The Old Covenant community in, included people who did not know the Lord. That's why in, uh, in the uh, promise of the new covenant, God says, I'm going to make a, a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. And again, God says, uh, they shall not say in the new covenant what they had to say in the old covenant, every man to his neighbor saying, know the Lord. Because in the new covenant, Whereas in the Old Covenant, internal evangelism was necessary. You had to tell your neighbor, know the Lord, because they didn't all know him. But in the New Covenant community, internal evangelism is uh, the exception and not the rule. 
God says, the new covenant community, know, know the Lord. So there were people in the old covenant who went through the motions, who went along with the rest of the Jewish people to the worship of God, and they didn't know God. They did not worship God by the Spirit. But the new covenant community, all of them do. So again, Philippians 3.3 3 is not a contrast between the new covenant and the old covenant communities. It actually is a contrast between those who did know the Lord and did worship by the Spirit of God and those who did not, the Judaizers. It's a, it's a, a contrast between those who worshipped only formally, only by rote, and those who worshipped by the Spirit of God. The commentator John Eady writing about this text, expresses his understanding that the, there were distinctive disadvantages to the old covenant worship, but the biggest problem was in the heart of the worshipers. He writes, the worship often degenerated into mere parade. It became pantomime. And this was especially due to the absence of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of those so described. Pastor Scott Meadows, uh, in his book, A Call to Pure Worship, writes, Without the Spirit, absolutely no true worship can possibly begin or continue. Of course, Pastor, Pastor Meadows is correct. We need the Spirit of God in order to worship God truly from the heart. And the Apostle Paul, again, is encouraging the people of God to understand in their identity that they do have the Spirit of God and they are enabled by the Holy Spirit to draw near to God in true, acceptable worship. This truth is what is being uh, identified in Philippians 3.3. Also, it is set out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, and I invite you to turn to that passage. Again, this is under the heading that the Holy Spirit invigorates worship. He invigorates the worship of the people of God. And as, as Paul writes to the uh, Ephesian Christians, uh, a congregation made up of both Jews and Gentiles, Paul says this, for through him, that's the Lord Jesus, of course, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of, the, of God in the Spirit. So that, here's one of those passages in which we are told that we are fitted for, work, for the worship of God 
by the Holy Spirit. And this was amazing news to the Gentiles. You may know that in the, uh, in the uh, period of the Acts, when the apostles were going around preaching the gospel, they went to the Jews in the synagogue, and oftentimes some of the Jews would believe, but others hardened their hearts, they rejected it, they became jealous, and they uh, spoke evil, and they persecuted the apostles. But... The gospel did save Jews whom God had elected, and he joined together both Jews and Gentiles in worshiping communities, in the, in the churches which were established by the apostles. And so there was this unified worship of all the people of God by the Holy Spirit. And here Paul says that uh, we are built it together, built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's still true today. That's true of the people of God today. We are made God's living temple to worship God by the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, fits us for worship. He fits us for worship. Again, in, in uh, verse 18, 218, through him, that's the Lord Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one spirit to the Father so that we are enabled to draw near to God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And again, uh, he states that at the end of the chapter. By God's grace, we are those whom God seeks and whom he fits for worship. This is what God does for us, the people of God. He fits us for worship. A similar passage to the Ephesians 2 passage is in Philipp, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. That's the next text I would point you to under this heading. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Actually, I'll back up to verse 4 to catch the beginning of the sentence. And coming to him, that's the Lord Jesus, as to a living stone, the Lord Jesus is the living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, we, God's people, by His grace, are made living stones. We're brought to the Lord Jesus. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is rejected by men, but He is choice and precious in the sight of God. And we are conformed to His likeness. We are made living stones, a living temple to God. And by this, we are fitted for God's worship. Again, the Apostle Paul makes this point. It is fulfilled in us that the Holy Spirit dwelling in the people of God are fitted for corporate worship. That's what the Holy Spirit does because he makes us a temple of God. So the Holy Spirit invigorates our worship. The Holy Spirit 
fits us and he energizes us for the worship of God. The second point this evening, I wanted to lay out the particular ways in which the Holy Spirit makes us worshipers. And again, I thought, well, is that exactly what I want to say? He makes us worshipers. And that's, that's indeed what the Bible teaches, that the Holy Spirit, in particular ways, makes us worshipers. In fact, there is no aspect of worship which does not involve the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, in a very broad sense, makes us worshipers and fits us for worship, and he does this in particular ways. In general, he does this in his various works of grace. The Holy Spirit does in us various works of grace which make us fit for the worship of God. For example, regeneration. Apart from regeneration, we would be utterly incapable of true worship. And again, the language of uh, John Eady. Worship without the Spirit of God becomes pantomime. You can be in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, and having no real communion with God. Our joy is that we do have communion with God by the Holy Spirit because God changes our hearts. John chapter 3, what Jesus taught about the new birth. God regenerates his people, and by this means he enables us to worship God acceptably. That's the work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit creates faith and repentance. He creates faith and repentance in the initial work of conversion, and he creates faith and repentance all along the way. Sometimes we come to public worship with a profound sense of our sinfulness in our need of cleansing grace. That can be one of the more discouraging aspects of drawing near to God. When you come to the worship of God and what, uh, what comes to your mind is your sins. But the Holy Spirit is the one who creates faith in the people of God and sincere repentance for sins. There is a a wonderful song that we sing from time to time. I would be surprised if you haven't sung it yourselves here, uh, written by a, a, a young woman. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan bids me to despair, I'm just quoting the parts I remember right at the the top of my head. When Satan bids me to despair and tells me of the sin within, upward in faith, I see him there who made an end of all my sin. So when you and I come to this place and we are reminded of our sins in the midst of public worship, where does the hope Where was the hope that Christ has died for my sins? Where does this come from? 
where does a sincere longing for the forgiveness of my sins and cleansing in the blood of Christ, where does that come from? That comes from the Spirit of God. He creates sincere repentance and genuine faith, genuine confidence in God. So when we sing those hymns like that, as the hope and confidence of our soul bubbles up in our song, that is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually brings us into communion with God. That's why we are the temple of God. These are the things that Paul says in that passage in Ephesians 2. We are built together to be a habitation of God with the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is the illuminator. He's our teacher. The Lord Jesus Christ taught us this about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said that when he, goes to the, when he went to the Father, he was sending the Holy Spirit. And it was our advantage that he should go, that we might receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us all truth. So that the things we need to understand in order to worship God aright are the things that the Holy Spirit communicates to us. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who greatly helps us in our sanctification. You think of that text of John Owen that he built his treatise on mortification of Romans 8.13. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we, we will strive to put our sins to death and we will look to God, Jesus Christ, and look to the work of the Holy Spirit to help us in conquering our sins. Well, these are general, general things. All of these are things that the Holy Spirit does for us, regeneration, faith and repentance, communion with God, illumination and sanctification. These are things that the Holy Spirit does that fit us for public worship. But there are specific acts of worship that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does. These are general things I have said so, thus far. But uh, there are specific acts of worship that the Holy Spirit evokes from his people. And these are some of these are very obvious but still very important to us. The Lord, the um, Holy Spirit points us to the person of Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ, and we read this in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 14. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, Therefore, I, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit shines the light of truth on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we greatly need if we are to worship God acceptably. We need that ministry of teaching and illumination of the Scriptures in our hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this the the Holy Spirit does in all of the New Testament Scriptures and in many of the Old Testament Scriptures. He shines the light of truth upon the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to worship. He reveals the grace of God to us. He reveals the grace of God regarding both the Father and the Son. Turn please to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I'll read with you verses 5 to 10. So the Apostle Paul again has been uh, letting, uh, setting out before us the fruits of, of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is telling us of the things that come to us by means of the gospel of Christ. We exalt, verse 3, in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and here we are, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And what the Apostle Paul says about this great love of God for us, undeserved, unmerited, even when we were unconverted, this is what Jesus did for us. He died for us. The Holy Spirit is the one who pours out within our hearts, he pours into our hearts the things that Christ has done and makes them precious to us so that we are enabled to worship him. He reveals the grace of God to us, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in dying for us, the grace of the Father in sending his Son for us. He speaks to us then. He speaks to us also in the Scriptures. He speaks to us in the Scriptures. We're told in our Bibles that God the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires the Word of God. Uh, Peter uses that language in his second letter. He says that no, uh, no Scripture is uh, the product of a man's own Mentality. Let me turn there so I don't, I don't butcher it. First, Second Peter chapter one, verses twenty and twenty-one. 
Know this first of all, says Peter, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So all of the Scriptures that we have, all of the Scriptures that instruct us, all of the Scriptures that encourage us to worship God, to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, where do they come from? They come from the ministry of the Holy Spirit giving to the apostles all the things we need to hear, know, and understand about the grace of the Lord Jesus, about our salvation. And um, we, say, uh, we could say this in a general sense, since all Scripture is inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, every, every passage of Scripture is what God is teaching us by the Holy Spirit. But the, the Holy Spirit is actually identified as the author of Scripture in numerous passages. You have uh, the statement of Paul at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, verses 25 to 27, as Paul is in Rome, and he has uh, the Jewish people who are gathered in his uh, in his rented dwelling. And in verse 25, these, uh, these Jews, some of these Jews, did not believe at all. And he says, well, Luke tells us, when they, had not, they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Paul says, this is what the Holy Spirit say. This is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, which were spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the expression of the mind of the Lord Jesus, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, and you'll find similar things in Hebrews 10, 15, Hebrews 3, 7, where we're told that these Old Testament scriptures, that the Holy Spirit said them. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us in the scriptures. And every time your mind is expanded by the exposition of the Holy Scriptures, every time your soul is built up and encouraged by the Holy Scriptures, that is the fruit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But, so the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals the grace of God to us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in the Scriptures. And then the Holy Spirit aids us in our singing. You're familiar with the uh, passage in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. There's where the, we are taught by the Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit aids us in our singing. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20.
Here the Apostle Paul gives us some important instructions. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What does Spirit-filled worship look like? It, It looks like God helping us to sing true worship and praise to Him, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in our souls. So again, when you open your hymnal and you see the expressions of faith which have been communicated through our uh, forefathers of the faith, going back sometimes to the early centuries of the Christian religion, when our hearts are raised with the songs that we sing. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, enabling us to sing to God, enabling us to sing to one another in ways that assist our faith. I can think of times when my own soul has been greatly discouraged by trials, by my own sense of my sinfulness and need. There have been times, brethren, when I felt like I couldn't sing. But one of the great things about such times, when your soul is weighed down with either sin or trials, to hear the voices of your brethren around you is a great encouragement. To hear the brethren singing to your ears the truths of the faith, is often a wonderful means of grace. And that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians and in the parallel passage in Colossians. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our singing. And you know that the Holy Spirit helps us in our praying. The Holy Spirit helps us in our praying. The Apostle Paul underscores that again in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Apostle Paul uh, expresses that frustration we sometimes feel when we seek to draw near to God in our prayers. He says this, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And this is one of the reasons why Jude tells us to pray in the Holy Spirit to pray with felt dependence upon the Holy Spirit to help us to enunciate to God in sincere prayer the needs of our souls. So the Holy Spirit helps us in this way as well. And if there's uh, another thing that I think is very important for us, uh, the Holy Spirit makes preaching effective. Turn please to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit makes preaching effective. 
Preachers have solemn responsibilities. To stand and preach the word of God is a very solemn thing. And a preacher needs to spend as much time as he can studying the word of God so that he may responsibly handle the word of God. He seeks to express it in ways that will help the people of God with exposition, explanation, illustration, all of the aspects of effective preaching. But there's one thing that is more important. Again, I don't want to say, I don't want to give the impression that preachers don't need to do anything by way of preparation. They have a great deal to do with preparation, and it is hard work that they must do. But notice what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 5 and 6. Actually, I'm, gonna, I'm going to back up to verse 4. He says uh, this. He's saying to the Christians in Thessalonica, he gives thanks to God for them, knowing, brethren beloved, by God, his choice of you. Paul says, I am confident that you Christians in Thessalonica have been the object of God's electing love from all eternity. Now, how does Paul know that? It could have been by direct revelation. God could have told him these are the people. They are elect of God. But he says, actually, there's something else. I'm reasoning from a different way. He says this, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. It was not just that I found the right words and I had the right doctrine, I said the right things to you. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And we could go on in the context. But this is what Paul says. I, I know that when I preach to you, God the Holy Spirit made you recipients of the word of God. Your faith, your faith with the faithful proclamation of the word was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you ask me, which is more important? What the preacher has to say or what the Holy Spirit has to do is but so much that preachers can do, so much that they can do, there's so much that they can't do. We who preach the word of God, if we could, we would reach into your heart and change your heart. In fact, doesn't, doesn't Paul say something very similar to that to the Corinthians? He says, You're, you are our letter, written by the Spirit of God, seen, read and known by all men. But it is the Holy Spirit that has to take the word of God whether it preached artfully, effectively, from the human level, the Holy Spirit has to make the Word of God effective in preaching. And that is what Paul says happened in Thessalonica. That's what, that's what God does. That's what God the Holy Spirit does. And of course, He, he directs our worship the Holy Spirit directs our worship. Everything that the, the Word of God uh, tells us our worship ought to be, 
is what the Holy Spirit is saying so that we will worship God acceptably. The Holy Spirit provokes worship. He directs worship. He reveals truth to us, and he is the one who bears the fruit in our souls of worship to God. I think about those two passages I pointed to this morning, Matthew chapter 28 and the uh, baptismal formula in Matthew 28, the benediction of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. When, the, when, that, when those truths are read and explained and brought to us, what makes it effective? It is God, the Holy Spirit, who makes them effective and applies them to us in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit invigorates worship. The Holy Spirit has particular ways in which he makes us worshipers. And the Holy Spirit, my last point this evening, is the goals of the Holy Spirit in helping us to worship. The Holy Spirit has certain things he is seeking to do in the lives and hearts of God's people as they worship. And these are some of the goals of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the goal of causing us to worship reverently and joyfully. Reverently and joyfully. There are people who, uh, who associate all proper worship with joy exclusively, right? They, they would take those words of Paul, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and they would say, well, worship always has to be very joyful. It, sh it should be. Yes, it should be. Always joyful. If I have to, uh, well, I, I, I hope I'm, I'm never at the place where I have to choose between joyful worship and reverent worship. It's joyful worship and reverent worship. We are to rejoice with trembling. There ought to be joy. Every time we engage in God, every time we feel Him near, every time we sense the work of the Holy Spirit helping us to worship, we ought to worship God joyfully. After all, we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And that ought to bring from our hearts great joy. I don't know what's going to happen in our world, our crazy, mixed-up world, with wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of calamities. But as a matter of fact, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken, and therefore we are to worship with gratitude to God. There ought to be a commensurate warmth of joy for all that God has done for us, all that God is doing for us, all that God has promised to do for us, and we have this promise of, this, of uh, the future hope of eternal life. We have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest of our salvation. And therefore, we, we ought to worship with joy. But the same truths which help us to worship with joy and understand that joy is legitimate also means that we ought to worship God reverently, never flippantly, God is not just our uh, 
our big, soft, cuddly teddy bear in the sky. It's irreverent to even have to say it. But we are to worship God with reverence, with godly fear. Because the same God who has given us a kingdom which cannot be shaken is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to draw near to God. I was listening to someone about the subject of revival. And he was, uh, he was interviewing someone who had experienced revival and said, what was it like to preach during revival? A very interesting response. The man said, we didn't want to preach. We knew we had to preach, but we didn't want to preach. The sense of awe before God who draws near he said it created this sense that they did not want to intrude into holy things which they could not express adequately. So, one of the goals of the Holy Spirit is to produce joy and reverence in the worship of God. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does also, one of the goals of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that the Apostle Paul tells us to watch out for in our worship, he says, in our lives. Our worship, yes. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. It is possible to so treat the worship of God that we actually do that kind of thing. The, the picture of Grieving the Holy Spirit, to, to me, uh, brethren, it's a mystery. There's a mystery there. Can God suffer? Do we, do we give God a, a bad day? You know, some, some days somebody you work with, somebody you deal with, they, they so treat you that the rest of your day is ruined, right? You have a bad day. God never has a bad day. It's one of my pastors said a number of times. God never has a bad day. But the Bible tells us that we may so treat God that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. God is a God of such holiness that he regards our sins probably, I'm going to say, much more seriously than we regard them. And it is possible, Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't throw cold water on the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of quenching. We must not disregard God's Holy Spirit. We must not disregard His teachings. We must not disregard His law. I remember speaking to a, a parent one time, and uh, I was talking about child discipline. We were going through the book of Proverbs from, with some select verses. And her answer to me was, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't taught me that yet. Plain things in the Word of God. What God says there, He says to us, and we must not stiff-arm God when He puts His finger upon our lives and our sins. We are to not grieve the Spirit, not quench the Spirit, and that is the goal of the Holy Spirit, to make us sensitive to the ways in which we do that. 
And then the aim of the Holy Spirit, the goal of the Holy Spirit is our sanctification. This is what the Apostle Paul says in many, many places. Romans 8, 13, the passage in, uh, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, where Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. The aim of the Holy Spirit is to cleanse us and to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that the Holy Spirit's goal is evangelism. It's one of his goals. One of his goals is evangelism. And for that, I would encourage you to look at Revelation 22 and verse 17. The goal of the Holy Spirit, one goal of the Holy Spirit, is evangelism. Notice what is written almost at the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. He is calling sinners to draw near to him and to receive from him the gift of eternal life. The Spirit and the bride, us, the people of God, and the Holy Spirit says, come. The one who hears, let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So, the goal of the Holy Spirit, the aim of the Holy Spirit in the worship of God is that sinners would turn to Christ. And we, with the Holy Spirit, are to invite sinners. That's what we're, we're doing in worship we're setting forth the gospel, we're singing the gospel, we're believing the gospel, and we're proclaiming for sinners to come to Jesus Christ for eternal life. And in this place, I have little doubt that there are some people who still have not come. Still have not come. Gospel invitations have been given not, not uh, to come to the front of the building uh, to say a, pr a rote prayer, but there are people who have not yet drawn near to the Lord Jesus Christ who offers himself in the gospel, offers himself in the things that we do in worship. If that's you, God the Holy Spirit invites you to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if the Holy Spirit has one thing for you to do, you ever wonder, you say, I'm just, I'm just young. I'm just a young person. What does God want me to do? Well, the Holy Spirit wants you to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive of him eternal life. That you should want eternal life. That you should take eternal life. And so, in the name of the triune God, I urge you to turn to Jesus Christ, to take the water of life from Jesus Christ and to be saved. Let's pray. Once again, our God, we thank you for all the wonderful truths that you have laid in store for us in the Holy Scriptures. And we confess as we hear these things this day, many of which we have heard in the past, 
Yet, our God, we do earnestly long that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and enable us to worship you acceptably. Thank you for cleansing our hearts by faith. Thank you for drawing us to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for making us the temple of God. And we pray, our God, that you would make, you would uh, add living stones. Take some, Lord, who have never bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, have never drunk of the water of life by faith in Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would change their hearts and make them living stones to add to your temple. Please bless the things we have considered, minister to our souls, and now bless us as we sing to you once again. Help us by your Holy Spirit to worship you with all of our heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.